Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West, and your host for today's podcast. Now, we have some important stuff to talk about because we are still living in pandemic land. We are still living in building the airplane in the air land. Restrictions are easing in some places, but there's still a lot that we need to think through, talk through. And so I've invited Bob Osborne, our Director of Church Health, to come back onto the podcast to talk about some very strategic and important opportunities that we at EFCA West are offering this spring to you, to our pastors and leaders. I do want to tell you really quick, if you haven't had a chance, go to our YouTube channel, EFCA West. Just go to YouTube and just type in EFCA West, and you can see our latest videos from our district conference, our virtual conference. But we posted them up there so you can view them. Our main stage speakers are only 15 minutes long, and so show it at a staff meeting, you know, show it uh, to, a, to, to an elder board meeting, and then you can have a discussion. You can watch our Zoom gatherings that we had as well, our workshops that were extremely informative, and so we want you to be able to take advantage of all that material. That's one of the positives of having a virtual conference is the, the material continues to live online. So in any case, without stalling any longer, Bob Osborne, how you doing today, sir? I'm doing real good, Tim. That's uh, good to be with you again. It's nice to be doing another podcast. Yeah. And we, I, I'm so many of the conversations that you and I have, and that we even have just with our whole team during our, our weekly Zoom meetings that we have, I, I just wish that I could hit record and and we could, you know, record these conversations that we have because so much of what we get a chance to talk about is so relevant to all of our our churches in EFCA West. And you know, one of the things too, and especially for those who are listening who live in kind of like this the SoCal area, you know, we have a huge district. And Bob, you've done a great job of getting out to some of the farther regions of our district, even Idaho. Um, so tell what, like, just real quick, like what's going on out in Idaho? Well, you know, Idaho is interesting. Uh, the state's kind of split between two different districts. And so uh, EFCA West serves the, there are four churches in uh, southern Idaho. Um, three of them are very established. One of them is a relatively recent uh, church plant. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's interesting to me up there is that, you know, again, just, just like everywhere else, every one of these churches is completely different. Uh, they're serving different communities. They're serving, uh, you know, they have different memberships. They have different uh, capabilities. Uh, some are, you know, more healthy than others. Uh, some are, are, are growing. Some are, you know, shrinking a little bit. But the thing that always encourages me is that they all want to do something uh, positive in terms of kingdom values and reaching people for Christ. Um, and it, it's just it, it's just a lot of, of fun for me to be able to get up there and talk strategy and and uh, just kind of hang with those leaders. Well, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I often get people will say, well, gosh, Tim, you know, EFCA West is such a large geographical district. I mean, how do you guys realistically expect to be able to cover all the areas? And to be honest, and I think you would agree with this, every church that reaches out to us, we are able to respond, I would say, very quickly. And we can be on the ground in, in a matter of days if they need us to come. And so, you know, th there are churches that in our geography that are in our district that don't necessarily take advantage of of inter, you know, interacting with us a whole lot, and that's okay. And we're hoping to continue to make the case for why we can um, be a great partner to all of our churches and, and have a relationship. But, but uh, you know, we every square inch of our borders is important to us. And you have really, I think, done a great job, specifically in getting out to the edges of our district as well. And. The, we're, we're all one of the things too when I first started this position was people would say, 
well, you know, what do we have in common with somebody, you know, way out in, in, you know, if they were in Albuquerque, you know, what do we have in common with somebody way out in the Bay Area? Or if you're in San Diego, what do we have in common with somebody out in, in Utah or Idaho? And, and I was, the, that was like a legit question when I, when I first got this position, because I thought, man, I don't know. I mean, we got to think that through. And then we had the coronavirus hit us and now we are all in the same boat. We are all now boxes on a screen with fake backgrounds. No one knows where anyone's from on a Zoom call, really. And we're all trying to figure it out. There was even a thing I saw is going around like a, um, a video of an attorney. It's, it, did you see this? There was an, a, there were these attorneys on the Zoom call and one of the guys had like a cat filter over his face and it was like a, it was like an official thing and he couldn't figure out how to get the to stop being a cat. Yeah, never let your children use your work computer. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? You're like, and yet, and yet who would have thought? Here we are and this, I mean, these sophisticated people that are probably billing for $100, hundreds of dollars an hour, and the guy can't figure out how to get himself to stop being a cat on Zoom, right? You know, so just make, I mean, if anything else, I would say, I mean, at least be a dog. I mean, it's just, you know, you know Tim, one of, I, I was born and raised, I've lived my whole life in Southern California within, you know, 30 miles of where I live now. And uh, one of the things I'm always impressed by and, and intrigued by, frankly, when I travel and I meet with other people is how much alike we are, not how different we are, but how alike we are. Yeah. And, you know, our, our uh, ministry context, especially in the church environment are different. What unites us at EFCA is is really it's our statement of faith and it's the ethos that we have. Um, and I think one of the key things, one of the real advantages of actually having a larger district is that there's a lot that Southern California pastors can learn from Albuquerque pastors and Boise, Idaho pastors and, uh, you know, pastors in and around Salt Lake City. Um, I mean, there, there's just, there is so much carryover and there's so much that we can learn from one another. But you know, geography kind of restricts us. So I've actually seen that, you know, some of this Zoom stuff has actually been a blessing. Uh, it's an, it's enabled us to, you know, I can connect with people in four different parts of the district. It's not the same as being together in person. It's not as much fun, uh, you know, but I, I can be with you in Arizona this morning. I can be with someone in Salt Lake this afternoon. And tonight I can be, you know, in uh, Albuquerque mm -hmm. and, you know, without, without leaving my house. So, you know, there's some advantages, but I think the lesson for me is just how important it is for us to, you know, not stay stuck in our own silo of whether it's our own church or our own geography, um, but to actually uh, uh, cross-pollinate some and learn from other people. Yeah, and we have to resist the temptation to be isolated, especially when we feel, and I know when I was a senior pastor, when things weren't going well, I didn't want to be around anybody because I was like ashamed and I felt like, oh, my church isn't doing very well and I don't want anybody to know. And, and that's a, that's a thing that, you know, I mean, there's pride, there's this, um, idea that, you know, I don't need anybody and, um, we all fight that, but that's why I wanted to talk to you because we've got, you are launching two cohorts and one of them is going to be on with having to do with elder boards, how they can function properly, and then even how to train elders. And what I love about the concept of what you're doing is it's not just a seminar, it's not just dissemination of information, but it's actually a journey that you want to go on with anybody who's willing to go on it with you to to just walk through together this process of of becoming better at this whole idea of, of doing elder boards. And the second one is um, what we call mid-level leadership, which I think is so incredibly important. I can't wait to talk to both with to about both of these things with you. Let's start first with the elder board uh, subject. Why did you want to do, uh, what gave you the idea of doing a cohort? And why are you excited about doing a cohort with people um, leaders, pastors, leaders, lay leaders, um, dealing with this subject of elders. Well, you know, Tim, one of, one of the major, um, chunks of my work is, is working with the church leadership teams, which typically is, you know, elders and, you know, in EFCA, we have a lot of different uh, terms that are used for board members or leadership teams, boards of directors, uh, elders, uh, you know, there's a lot of different terms. So I've been using for this, the term board member slash elders, uh, because it's really looking at, at whatever you call your board members, those are the people that we want to talk to. 
Um, but this has been on my heart for a long time. I, I've sensed uh, for years. I mean, my background, I, uh, I, I've been at the, I, my wife and I have been at the same church from just before we got married. It, uh, this summer, it'll be 45 years we've been at the same church. Hmm. And for 23 of those years, I've served uh, as a board member at our church. We have term limits, so, you know, you have to leave every once in a while. Um, but I've spent much of my adult life uh, serving as an elder. And my heart is just with uh, those men or women who serve as board members in churches uh, for their development. That can be one of the loneliest jobs in the world because, you know, pastors have networks, but board members don't. And so, you, you, you know, you just, you just kind of sit there. And one of the things I've found is how comforting it is for many uh, board members in, in our churches in our district uh, to realize that, no, you're not weird. You're not all alone. The things you're facing are the same things people face at churches all over the world, all over the country, and certainly in our district. And I've just for, you know, quite a while since that, uh, uh, frankly, in, in terms of my ministry, elders, um, board members is uh, an, an underserved uh, part of the church hmm. in terms of our mission. And so, you know, I've had a lot of things on my plate and, you know, like everybody else, you have to schedule and time's at a premium. But uh, with learning about Zoom over the last year, it was like it, it helped me change my paradigm. It's like, you know, I could probably be more effective uh, doing a, you know, what a, a learning cohort kind of thing uh, via Zoom than I could be in doing, you know, 15 elder retreats across the district. Yeah. And so that, that's one of the things I'm real excited about here. So what's this going to look like? I mean, you're going to get... The hope is that we'll have um, eld current elders as well as, are you asking for elders in training, potential elders as well? Sure. I mean, everybody's welcome. The, the, the curriculum uh, is, is really designed for, um, well, let, let me back up a little bit. I think sometimes the best, the best training, the most effective training is on the job training. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not as excited about long-term uh, heavy in-depth training of board members before they serve because they really have no context with which to understand. Uh, I much more would be much more excited about internship or something, even, you know, where you spend a year with the board, but you're not a board member or something like that to actually learn things, to give context to what we're learning. That's that typically is how adults learn best. Um, but, you know, so this this is is really focused on that, although others are, are certainly welcome, especially a church that's, you know, taken some time to to uh, vet in advance and maybe do some training with uh, uh, elder prior to service. Um, all of all of the things we'll talk about will serve, you know, either of those populations very, very well. Yeah, well, and I think that the goal is the goal is healthy church boards in our churches. And I got to tell you, I mean, some of the horror stories, and I'm not, I am not at liberty to share some of these things, but some of the horror stories that I've heard from churches in our district, and not a lot of them, but, but some of the just unacceptable behavior that we let go on, on, on all sides or, or whatever. And, and if not, if not, and, and there's the horror stories, but then even so there's just like the lack of, of really good, solid communication, the lack of trust, the lack of um, alignment. Uh, let me ask you, I mean, what, as we look, as you look ahead to this cohort, what are you hoping that some of the outcomes of this will be? Well, if somebody decides to commit to the five, it was, is it five sessions you've got? Uh, that's correct. Five, two hour sessions, five, two hour sessions. All they got to do is turn on their computer Everybody knows how to do that. Even the lawyer guy who made himself into a cat. Um, you know, if you want to, you could even show up as a cat if you want, I, I suppose. Say, if you show up as a cat, I'll just ask you to stop videos. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you, still you which, which would have been a really brilliant idea on that guy's part. But anyway, uh, I digress. What do you hope that the outcome will be if somebody participates in these five sessions? Well, I mean, the overarching thing is I, I want I really have a strong desire that our church boards are healthy and that they pursue health. Uh, health doesn't just happen. It, it's something that has to be pursued. We have to nurture it. We have to take care of ourselves. And so, you know, there are a lot of things that go into um, uh, a board being healthy, uh, how they relate to one another, how they 
how they uh, how they conduct their meetings. Simple. I mean, there's something as simple, uh, you know, it just kills me, uh, figuratively speaking, of course, to listen to uh, elders um, who are or board members who say, uh, "Oh man, I hate our meetings." It's like mm. they're your meetings. Don't have bad meetings. Mm-hmm. You don't. You know, there, there's. I, I read my Bible a lot. I've never read a passage that says elders shall have bad meetings. <laughs> Uh, you know, if your meetings are awful, don't do meetings like that anymore. Get help. And so, I mean, things like, you know, the, the board culture, uh, when, when I hear when I hear the horror stories, uh, usually the horror story, you know, jumps up because there's some issue and then things explode. But that horror story has probably been going on for five or 10 years behind the scenes. And we just, you know, didn't get frustrated enough or didn't have the opportunity to explode. Uh, but, you know, we as, as church leaders, we need to, to really be able to define the culture we want uh, amongst ourselves, how we want to uh, relate to one another, uh, the things that are important to us, what we're going to deal with, what we're not going to deal with, what our relationships are. You know, I think the toughest thing, uh, because it, uh, this, the answer is all over the map, uh, one of the toughest questions that uh, I, I sometimes will ask uh, board members is, um, what is, what do you want not what is, but what do you want the relationship between the leader, senior pastor, and the board to be? Because if you've never defined what you want it to be, then the relationship is just whatever happens. Yeah. So, you know, you not you know that I, I often say clarity is our friend, but oftentimes, you know, boards spend so much time kind of like being the board, uh, going through the motions of being a board member that we never really stop and pause to work through the the philosophies of what we do so that we can actually come to clarity about who we are, what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. Yeah. And it's possible for boards to function in such a way that they have, there's accountability. Uh, there's if the, if the senior pastor comes with an idea that he's been working on and presents it to the board, the board, you know, it's possible for the board to look at that and say, you know, we don't think that's the right thing, or we have some concerns, or maybe if we tried this version of that instead, without there being this uh, this entire, you know, catastrophe or emotional problem or or lack of trust or whatever. I think the heart of it, and and without getting into too much of of all of your content, but it would seem like the heart of it has to be that there's got to be trust in the context of relationship, right? Well, uh, I think, yeah, there needs to be trust, but we need to make sure that our systems and uh, processes don't uh, work against trust. And even in the example Mm. that you gave where you talked about, you know, a pastor bringing an idea to the board, uh, I would suggest to boards that a pastor should never bring an idea to the board. You know, the word never is obviously in quotes because there might be some reason uh, to do that. But as a rule, a pastor should never bring an idea to the board that the board and the pastor haven't already talked about because mm. otherwise it's a surprise, you know, no, and one of the good. worst things a pastor can do to a board member is surprise them with something. You know, it's like, don't, don't force me to um, approve or disapprove your proposal. Uh, give me an opportunity to interact with you on it. And then when that proposal comes, um, we'll, we'll already be in sync and we, you know, we, chances are we won't have that, that uh, conflict. That's good. Don't never surprise the board. That is a cardinal rule. And then I think the board should never surprise their pastor either. Well, isn't that the truth? Well, and there've been pastors who've been fired and, you know, maybe they should have had a little bit more of uh, awareness to see the writing on the wall, but without a review, without any kind of warning, just, uh, you know, the board has had an increasing sense of unhappiness with the performance of the pastor. And then the next thing you know, the guy's out of a job or whatever, and or he's got some kind of other pun, but there's without warning. And that that yeah. happens, too. Yeah. You know, and if I, I have a hard time with that, you know, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, I think Scripture tells us how we should treat one another, even if we're board members or pastors. Yeah. You know, that that you know that that should not be a surprise. That should have been a conversation. You know, a board that can't have that conversation, a board that doesn't know how to um, engage in productive conflict, uh, is 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 just is a board that that needs help. They they need to learn and practice some new skills. 
Yes. Or they need new board members. You know, there's always the chance you can get wicked and evil board members. And we know we don't read too often about them, but every once in a while we read about the wicked and evil pastor. Uh, that usually makes it in the newspaper or something. But, uh, uh, you know, there, there have been many times that I've worked with churches where they have a board member who that, that person has been disqualified from serving for years. And, and yet you let you let that person continue uh, to, you know, put their poison into the boardroom. And, and that, you know, that hits on something that we've talked about several times, and it's going to be talked about all the time, as long as as long as we're in the roles that we're in here with EFCA West, and that is the responsibility of of everybody, but especially our our senior pastors to to lead. And you know, sometimes we um, you know we have well, and I've been to so many different EFCA West churches, and I've had the opportunity to preach and interact with elder boards, and and the majority of them are such great guys. I mean, I just such such great people. I love hanging out with the leaders of these churches, and they sacrifice so much. But there are occasionally those bad apples that, that get in there, and they get in there for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the polity isn't right, and you know there's committees selecting people, and the pastor doesn't have any say in it, and that sort of thing, and that creates all kinds of problems, in my opinion. But you, but regardless, sometimes you just get a guy, a person in there that's not supposed to be in there. Now, when that happens... The pastor, it's it. The pastor's job. I mean, that's the pastor's responsibility to figure out how they're going to make sure that that person gets disqualified from that from the from the board, and and makes that happen. We we have to give our pastors permission to be able to lead in that area and to call that kind of uh, ungodly behavior out. And yet, it's hard because oftentimes the pastor feels very alone. Because there, you know, there might be six board members, but the, there's only one senior pastor, and so it's an isolating kind of a position. And and the pastor needs to be able to to uh, feel the freedom and permission, just like you know he would with any other type of ungodliness going on in the church to to make sure and and call out and deal with. Of course, looking at his own life first. But, but not tolerate these kinds of things because, well, you know, this person still has another year in their term and that sort of thing. Yeah. I'd even make it broader than that, Tim. Um, I, there have been a couple of times where I've been in churches with, uh, you know, the entire board and, you know, the league pastor, you know, the, the whole shebang there. And watch, watch them uh, as they interacted uh, with one another on things and just seen some abysmal behavior. And, uh, you know, usually by a person. You know, mm-hmm. and, and what I share with them is I'm, I'm not so I'm not as upset about that one person's behavior as I am about the fact that y'all just sat there and let him or her do it. Yeah. If none, if none of you say, wait a minute, that's an inappropriate thing to say. You know, let's say I let's say we're in a, you know, a team meeting, Tim, and you insult me. You get you know, you get emotional. We're humans. right? Mm-hmm. These things happen. You're human and you get emotional about something and you say something nasty to me, or you say something that's demeaning to me that attacks me instead of maybe my idea. And if everybody else on our team just sat there and let, let me suffer, then what we've done is we have established that that is in fact, our, our team culture, that we allow that behavior, right? Support that behavior because, and and I think one of the things that happens is that board members um, may actually adopt this mindset that says it's the pastor's job to take care of, you know, uh, you know, Bob, I'll use Bob because that's my name, so no one else gets offended. My apologies to the Bob community, but you know, it's not just the pastor's job to take care of Bob, the surly, combative elder that's on the board. It's the entire team's job mm. to call me to account. And so, I, I think that that's a that's a burden. You know, when when boards and pastors see themselves as teammates instead of, you know, the, the board seeing the pastor as someone to supervise and the pastor seeing the board as a group of, a group of, of slow-moving people that need to be won over and encouraged to move faster. If we view ourselves as, as teammates, those conversations are a lot easier to have. Right. And so I think, and that's, that's such a great word on that too, because it is the responsibility of everybody and, and really it does come down to leadership, which is why I really want to encourage everybody that is in this category, or if you're a senior pastor listening to this, to encourage your team to be a part of this because, you know, 
pastors should be trained. Everyone expects a pastor to be trained, to go through, to read books, to go to conferences, to have, you know, go through ordination and licensing and all that kind of stuff, to be able to, to have competency in the area in which they're serving. And, and if you're listening to this and you're an elder or a potential elder, it is incumbent upon you to try to become the best elder that you can be. And I think that that's, this is a way that you can do that, not just through reading books or whatever, but by also being able to interact with people and talk about these things. So Bob, what I'm hearing you say is when we look at outcomes, we're going to talk about culture. Like what is the elder board culture? And then this, and then the systems that are a part of that. Sometimes elder boards, I mean, I, sometimes I hear like elder boards, sometimes I think they can, it's possible for them to even meet too often, you know? And it's like, if all we're doing is hanging around each other, we're going to find something to fight about. You know, we need to be out doing ministry and have meetings that are strategic and not just, well, we need to meet every morning at five 30 in the morning when we're all kind of tired and grumpy and no one really wants to be there. And you know, what are we talking about anyway? And why are we here? And I, I don't know. We got to qu- just question the process, question the process. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? There's no biblical mandate that says you have to do it like this. But then you talked about, you know, so culture, conflict resolution, I think is a huge part of that. And I, I wonder too, just about the importance of, and well, clarity. So there's three, there's culture, there's conflict resolution, there's clarity on, on the values because, uh, you know, doctrine is one thing, and hopefully, you know, we can be clear on doctrine, but we've got to be clear on values. How important is that for elder elder boards to 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 be clear on? It's just what they value, it, it, both at the church, but then just how they behave organizationally. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, there, there are three areas that I usually uh, suggest that, that um, boards, church boards need to have clarity and be in agreement on, at least fundamental agreement. You know, sometimes when you say, you know, a board member needs to, you know, um, um, you know, agree with our church's bylaws. I, I don't necessarily think that means that 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 will cause the bylaws to stay exactly the same forever and ever because everyone has to agree with them at all times for all reasons. You know, but we certainly have to be able to live with what we have. And if we want to recommend some changes, you know, we, we, we go ahead and recommend some of those changes. But the three areas I typically say that, that elders need to have uh, clarity, uh, very clear clarity on, is the, the mission or purpose, why we're here. What is it in, you know, like very short language or, you know, four or five words, uh, what is it that we're here for? What are we trying to accomplish? Uh, core values there are a lot of things that churches value. Uh, individual members value different things, but what are those very few essential things that we highly value that, uh, you know, make us who we are? And then the third thing are the key strategies. And again, it's core values and key strategies, not every strategy, mm. but the key strategies. And if we, if we get those three things, we know, we know why we're, uh, we, we know what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it and how we're trying to do it. And, you know, and those are the things that we focus on. And then I don't care what color the bathroom is painted. Yeah. Um, Unless that's going to hurt the mission or, you know, be contrary to values. And then I think the other thing we as board members need to be careful of is it's really easy to talk about, you know, one of our values is evangelism. Well, you know, as a consultant, I get to ask the question, is it? And tell me what exactly are you doing to live out that core value? Um, you know, where is that core value found in your key strategies? And that can be a real wake up moment when we discern that there's a difference between our aspirational values and our actual values, the things that we actually are living by. That is huge. Aspirational versus actual values. And I got to tell you, I, I saw that in the church that I pastored, um, both churches that I, the one that I planted and the one I was at for 12 years. Uh, after that, and it was always that tension between what we say we we want to be and what we're actually doing. And we know that phrase that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And and I I see that all the time. You know, I liked what Andy Stanley says is is what's written on the wall happening down the hall, and it, and behavior has got to be so so for for my money what what it was was always like. Hey, what's more important than whether or not we agree what color, like you said, the bathroom should be? 
I want us to be able to have, to all share a fact that we come to this with a certain type of risk posture. Now we're all going to have different ideas on risk and that sort of thing. But as an organization, we value movement. We value, we all believe that the best days are ahead for us. And there's a way that you have to get from here to there that's not easy. And that it's actually good to feel a certain amount of uncertainty and learn how to embrace that. Now, that's a that's a cultural value that should drip down into how decisions are made. Not that you throw caution to the wind, because you certainly want to be able to understand what it is that you're doing with eyes wide open. If you're going to take a leap off the cliff, you, you want to have some data as to making sure you're going to be able to survive that. But it's not like, oh, well, we, we shouldn't do this. And too often, it's it, we, we get into the preservation mode and and we become you know scared about doing anything that's going to to threaten the status quo. That, that is the, although that is one of the great hidden blessings of COVID nineteen is it forced us to break that a lot of that down. So I would hope that that's one of the byproducts of this too is that as the culture is shaped and as you use this cohort, Bob, to to challenge elders, that that there is that that sense of like, Hey, we got it. We got to I mean, there's opportunities right in front of us. We, we, we need to open our eyes and see them, you know? Well, absolutely. You know, I, I'm intrigued, um, um, by, by even just the concept, uh, you know, I'm, I'm conservative in terms of values. I'm not, you know, avant-garde or, you know, way out there. I'm, you know, I'm pretty conservative. Uh, and yet I, I hope that I'm not a preservationist. Uh, as a board member, um, you know, if there's, you know, I, I think the scriptural convictions and those kinds of things are, are, are really important, but, you know, I, I wonder what part of, you know, where things rust and moth and all that stuff destroys, you know, I mean, what, what part of that don't we get when we think about the church, uh, mm-hmm. all those, all those things that we've built, uh, you know, the, the programs we have, they all work for a season and then they don't work anymore. Because the one constant is, is, you know, change, especially in methods and those kinds of things. So I'm not, uh, you know, don't, don't slay me because, uh, you know, thinking I want to throw away, you know, the, the uh, you know, the faith or that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, boards, a board that is risk averse is, is going to uh, lead the church over a, uh, probably a long, slow death. Uh, Which is a, much more common. That's oh, yeah. much more common than than yeah. some rogue pastor running the church into the ground. Am I right? Um, well, in our movement, yes. I, I would hesitate to speak for all movements, um, but certainly in our movement, I think I see risk-averse leaders on boards a little bit more than pastors. But not all pastors are, you know, I, I think there's a stereotype we sometimes have of pastors is that they're all visionary leaders, and right. and they're not. And, and some pastors actually, you know, if, if we're a teammate with our board and we actually allow other people in the congregation to exercise their gifts and talents, then we may find people that aren't our pastor that are actually more visionary, uh, stronger leaders and, you know, more perceptive and stuff than some of the people have pastor. That's one reason that I love the idea of pastor and board as teammates in ministry, because there's no end. You know, Tim, if, if you were my pastor and I was a board member, there's no end to the things that you don't do as well as, as some other pastor might do. There are so many things that, that, uh, you know, pastor could or should, uh, you know, be able to, uh, to do. And so I just, I want you to lead in your areas of strength and giftedness and not, and I, then I don't want to beat you up because you're not horribly effective in something that God has never equipped you to do. Well, and to me, the story that is much more common is for pastors and board members to slowly, as you say, auger things into the ground. Yeah, yeah. we then, just get lower and lower, lose altitude, and the next thing we know, we don't have. And there's the thing that breaks my heart is that you know the church says, "Yeah, we've been plateaued for five years," which is just a lie. Nothing is plateaued for five. If you think you've been plateaued for five years, you've probably been been declining for six. Mm-hmm. And that's when the phone should have rung uh, for someone who's who's going to help you, because you know if if you get if you get too close to the ground, you don't have enough airspace to make take corrective action before you crash. You know the the flip side. I, I didn't get to the flip side. I talked about being risk averse, but I do think boards need to be risk aware. Yeah, 
We need to be aware of the risk that we're taking mm -hmm. so that we can ensure that there's an exit ramp uh, before disaster. You know, if we're going to pull a tricky maneuver, uh, again, we'll use the, the flying metaphor. If we're going to do a, a tricky aerial maneuver, let's do it at 20,000 feet, not 1,000 feet. That's right. You know, so we want to be aware of those risks. We want to know that there's an exit ramp. I think that one of the things that, that church leaders, and I, I think pastors do it more than board members do, and that is we, we sell an innovative idea like it's the precursor to Jesus' second coming. You know, here's mm -hmm. a program that's going to change your lives. It's going to be the best thing ever. And we're all in and, you know, everybody line up and dive in, you know, head first because this is where it's at. And then we get, you know, four five, six months in and it sucks. Yeah. It doesn't work. But we've just told everybody that this is the best thing short of the second coming. And now we're liars. Right. So is the congregation going to trust us when we come up with the next idea? Uh, because all it was is an idea. We're going to try something. Let's, you know, let's be comfortable with that language. We're going to try this to see if it will accomplish this. And if it doesn't, we'll stop. Right. No, I, that to me is the difference between risk, between risk averse and risk aware. So and, at what point are we going to stop this experiment? Yeah. And, and I love this conversation because it's been so much about strategy. And, and I should say, too, that, you know, as we've been talking and even about who should be on the board, obviously we have, you know, we look at the qualifications for elders like found in first Timothy and, you know, Titus and that sort of thing. And like, of course we want um, that biblical basis for everybody who's selected to be a part of that. And, and sometimes it's funny because I go, well, yeah, that's like a, that's a given, you know, you can have a guy who's not a polygamist and who's a generally nice guy and seems like he has a nice family, but he has just no idea how to get from here to there. And, and that's really what this cohort is about. So, so that's the first part. I want to shift gears now because I'm very intrigued. And I, I, I actually saved this part for later in the podcast because I think it's more, even more interesting because it's newer to us. And that is the mid-level leadership cohort. So tell us what do we mean by mid-level leadership and why are you offering a cohort for this? Well, I struggled with the name because, uh, you know, who knows what it is. But um, the, the target that I'm looking for are people that are not, you know, in the traditional, if I can use the word, hierarchical structure of church staff. You know, the, the lead pastor or senior pastor is, is kind of at the top of that, that pyramid. And then you have, you know, various numbers or levels of, of other people who are what I would typically call ministry staff. They're leading ministries. Um, they, you know, churches call them associate pastor. They can be student ministry, children's ministry, all kinds of people. But you're not, you're not the lead pastor. You, you all have that person is your boss, uh, or maybe your boss's boss if the church is large enough. But that lead or senior pastor is your boss. If you're not that boss person, that's who I'm calling a mid-level leader. And I, I don't demean any any position, but we're actually talking about ministry leaders, you know, um, people that are are, are are leading people, not so much people who are, uh, you know, bookkeepers or receptionists. That's that's not really the target for this. this these are people who are leading humans in ministry and working under the uh, authority and direction of, uh, you know, a leader, senior pastor. So we just called it mid-level uh, leadership. Yeah, I think it's a good title, and I think it, because it's broad enough to include, you know, you have the word leader in there, so the idea is that this person is just not the senior leader, potentially, in that one slot, but they are, but they could be anybody else who does still have the, is in the business of leading others, but I want to focus particularly, and I know, I mean, again, I think the fact, I think it's great, we're offering student ministry pastors, children's pastors, you know, whatever the title is that you attach, even if you're a director, if you're involved in, in ministry leadership, you don't even have to necessarily, I mean, part-time is probably, you know, you may be a lay leader if it's a small church kind of a thing. But I think that, um, I think that the, what I want to focus on is that, that, that dreaded title associate pastor. And the reason I call it dreaded is because it means, it, it seems like it means different things to different people. And like, what is an associate pastor? Because it's a tricky, it's a tricky position. And I've had a lot of conversations 
with our in our churches with different pastors and leaders about this. And what are some of the things um, about being an associate pastor that that are that are uh, that are just tricky that are that are maybe not obvious that we got to be looking out for to really understand the nature of the challenge of that role. I think one of the one of the first things is that it, just to recognize that it's a marketplace term for a church role, and uh, it's 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 really you know the difference between an assistant and an associate is typically an HR or a payroll thing. It, it, it really doesn't relate to whether you're a shepherd of sheep or, you know, who your boss is. And so it create it can create a lot of, uh, a lot of confusion. Um, I, you know, so the title is, you know, it's kind of, eh, it's a little bit funky for me. I, you know, I, I would just rather be the, you know, student ministries pastor instead of an associate pastor for this or that or something like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think one of the most important things for anybody who is not in the first chair, <clears throat> and you think through the orchestra and everything else, if you want to have a great orchestra, everyone cannot play first violin. Mm. You need seconds and thirds in order for it to work. If you want a solo, then you don't want to listen to the third violin part of, a you know, some concerto or something. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you want to listen to the melody. But as things get more complex, you need to add other parts. And all those other parts serve the whole, but they also serve the melody. And I think one of the hardest things for uh, some of the people in that mid-level leadership tier to do is to recognize that, as I sometimes will say, the only reason you have a job is to assist the senior pastor. Mm. Because the role of senior pastor became so big that staff is hired. Why? to help him by letting somebody else do things he doesn't have to do. Mm-hmm. And I think for those of us, I spent much of my first career policing. There, there were a lot of people who thought I was the boss, but I never didn't have a boss above me. And uh, my job every single time was certainly to, to lead well all the people I was leading. Uh, but I always had to remember that I was there to serve my boss and to help my boss accomplish his vision and that my vision doesn't trump his. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, funky, it's a funky role uh, if we don't have it well-defined in our own mind. Well, and it's got to be well-defined by the senior pastor, too. And I think Amen. that's where things come off the rails. So when we talk about associate pastor, we mean exec- – I mean, I'm talking about executive pastor, whatever you – executive associate pastor, whatever title. I mean, people come up with all kinds of crazy titles that basically mean the same thing, which is what you articulated, which is this person, and you better know this, exists to fulfill – and help to make the senior pastor successful in the vision that the, he feels like God's called him to, and he's and that he's being held accountable to by the board if he if if all that's working correctly, and that's what he's communicated to the congregation. And I think what happens sometimes is because it's not a cut and dried thing. Like for example, like I'm I'm a reservist in the Air Force, and one of the nice things about the Air Force is that you know the positions are you know especially when you get down to like the maintenance positions and that sort of thing are kind of cookie cutter. You know there, there's a position title that has a set job description. You can go anywhere in the world. And you can fill that slot. And so it's pretty easy to know what you're going to get because, you know, jet engines don't change from base to base or country to country. And yet here, so often it's entirely dependent upon the personality and the that particular needs and expectations of that senior pastor in that church with that culture. And you've got to know how to mold yourself to what has been set for you Otherwise, it's just it's just a huge recipe for conflict and disaster. Oh, amen. I, you know, I was just yesterday, I, I was looking around here, I found the note that I wrote. <clears throat> but just yesterday, I was doing some reading as I prepared the lessons and stuff for this mid-level uh, leadership cohort. And I came about uh, across a, a statement that I'm still marinating in. And, and one of the, the difficult, it was under the category of loyalty, what loyalty looks like. And it said, and it made this statement, you will be talking to the mid-level leader. You will be tasked, I'm sorry, you will be asked to become a champion for a vision other than your own. Mm. As a subordinate leader in an organization, I, my task 
is to pursue my boss's vision, not mine. And I, I'm still I'm still getting my arms around that how that looks because there's a lot of circumstances that might play and there's you know some but it, it's like you know fundamentally uh, if if my job is to work for somebody and and under their authority and I have responsibilities that I carry out under their authority then uh, yeah you know I need to champion that doesn't mean I have to have no vision of my own. But I, I have to champion the vision of the church because that's what I've been hired to do. And if I can't do that, then I should probably uh, I should probably leave, leave that role. Yes. And th- what you're saying is so incredibly important because, by the way, we're not talking about the way that things should be. And that's the thing that sometimes frustrates me with with the, with sometimes even younger leaders or I mean I guess all leaders is is of, of certain types is that there's an idealism well yeah but we should all be able to to do what we want to do in this particular role and it's like okay well that, that may be the way that you wish it was but I'm, we're going to tell you the way that it actually is in real life and in real life if you are working for a leader who knows where and I'm, we're saying he because we're assuming that most of our senior pastors are he if not all of them. Um, but if you're working for a, a senior pastor who knows where he wants to go and is aggressively pursuing that vision, uh, and you try to do something that is your own idea that is divergent from that, you better keep a really fresh copy of your resume on hand because it's just not going to last for you. And I, I, I would go even further. If, if, you, if you're not on board with the church's vision, and you're not on board with the lead pastor's vision and strategies and all that kind of stuff, and you've had a couple of conversations about that, you need to leave. Well, you, well, you do. And, and, and Because you become an insurrectionist uh, other than that. You tear the church apart. You do. And and maybe, and you don't see yourself that way. But can I tell you, in, in the years that I've been a senior pastor, that I, I function in that role, and I've talked to so many other senior pastors, there's nothing more dispiriting and debilitating and frustrating because as much as you can look at senior pastors and think they have these big egos and stuff, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of insecurity underneath those egos too. And when you have your number two guy always questioning everything that you're doing, it just it just kills you. And and so, so I think, and by the way, this is an important part of all this because what happens is, and I got, I'm going to tread lightly and Bob, correct me here. Cause I'm, I'm going to throw this out here a little bit and then you can, I'll throw a, a, a ball and you can whack it and see where it goes. But I, I, what I've seen sometimes is older pastors who say, you know, I'm kind of done being a senior pastor. I don't want the pressure. I don't, I, I want to, I really want to support the vision of a younger pastor I, I want to come and they'll promise, hey, I've got all this experience and I can help you and everything else. But they have never been in the second chair and they don't know how to do that. And I wonder, like, do they even have the ability to get outside of themselves to recognize what it even takes to function effectively in that role? I mean, am I right about that or what? Well, uh, you are right. It's it's. Uh you know, I write a monthly article and uh, for our zip line. And a while back, I wrote an article. I think it was uh, titled "Help I Can't Get Down." But the, the the bottom line is that we train people how to climb the ladder, but we don't train people how to get down the ladder. Wow! And it's it's based on something I learned. I used to uh, work on my first career. For those who don't know, was in in uh, the sheriff's department in Los Angeles. And one of the areas that I was responsible for was the National Forest. And we had a lot of mountain rescues up there. And the thing that just always struck me as unusual, but then when you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world, is you hardly ever had to, we hardly ever had to rescue somebody that was climbing up the mountain. We mm. always had to rescue people climbing down. Huh. It's easier to go up than it is to come back down. And then I got to thinking about, you know, that's true at, at, at work. It's, you know, ask anyone who's ever been demoted. How easy is that, you know, having been exposed to something? There's a proverb that I have loved for many, many years, even when I was a younger man, uh, which doesn't qualify anymore. It's, it's Proverbs 2020. The glory of young men is their strength, gray hair, the splendor of the old. And if we could just master that, mm. as you know, a proverb, it's a general truth. 
And, you know, me, when I was young, I had all the answers and I didn't realize that I didn't have all the answers until I was a little older. And then when I get older, you know, I don't I no longer have the strength to do some of the things that the younger leaders do. And we just we need to, to really learn how to pair the wisdom of the older with the strength and enthusiasm of the younger and do it with mutual respect as, a, as opposed to just getting angry at one another. Well, I think that's exactly it. And I think even for the younger leaders, you know, you have either two options, either you're going to be taken home at a young age and never experience what it's like to go through aging, or you are going to end up in that spot someday. And do not think for a second that the dynamics that you're seeing in your older counterparts are not going to be visited upon you in some way or another. You will go to, you will get to that place where you feel like the world is passing you by and what do you have to offer? And there will be some of that stuff that's going on there. And you'll be tempted to want to lean on your experience and expertise to be able to say, well, I know, you know, I know better than you. And, and, but if you want to play a role in that supportive executive associate mid-level leadership capacity, you can't approach it of just as senior pastor light. You, that's not going to work. You're going to have to pivot to fill in the weaknesses or the things that the current senior pastor doesn't really want to do, but knows is important to get done. And, you know, that's one of the, and so I'll, I'll throw a couple other things out there too. You know, um, a, a good, a good associate slash executive pastor, assistant pastor, whatever you want to call that person, quite frankly, is a person that just knows that needs to know how to get a bunch of stuff done. If you're, here's the, if you're an executive pastor, in my mind, at least, you got to execute. It's in the word. You have to know how to execute, which means stuff needs to be checked off the list. You have to be a doer. So if you're sitting around all day going, oh, I just want to pray and, you know, I'm just going to do some studying and maybe have some coffee with some people like that's that's not your job. It's only your job as it relates to getting stuff done, which then begs the question, Bob, which, you know, you could speak. I would love for you to speak to is sometimes when a church just kind of knee jerk or inherently says, oh, we need another executive level or assistant level pastor. Maybe they don't need that because that person's just going to end up hiring their own assistant or whatever their admin. Maybe what you need is a really high quality, really uh, amazing admin person. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of, I don't want to pick on the executive pastor uh, right. role uh, all that much. Um, but I do find it interesting that there are three types of people that I've met um, who have that job title. And some of them are just pure executives. You know, they, they, they get stuff done, set in the office. Some of them are pastors who have some administrative capabilities. And every once in a while, I'll have to say that we have one at my church. You have someone who is truly an executive and a pastor. He's an executive pastor. And he does the executive functions with a pastoral heart and in a pastoral manner. But I think what happens is we get we kind of get jacked up on the role, uh, the the name of the position as opposed to the role. And so, you know, when I talk with somebody and talk about, you know, we need to hire staff, we want to do this, we want to do that. You know, my first question among my first questions is, what do you want that person to do? And then you ask yourself the question, uh, so what kind of person would you hire to do that job? If you need someone who's a financial expert and uh, organizations and systems expert and a facilities expert, uh, you probably don't need to append the word pastor to that. And you have a, a lot more people who could probably bring a lot more competence to that job than you know some of the people who who maybe are are not in a senior pastor role, but would like to be in a church and, you know, can, has some administrative gifts. So again, I mean, the, when, when we hire somebody in the church to, to do some kind of a work, um, we need to know what that is. And we need to hire someone who's fit and capable and typically trained to do that job. Well, and I think that's why it is. And my heart goes, does go out to when we have conversations with people and the mid-level leadership level, who who are just shaking their heads going I don't know what the I don't know what the senior pastor wants from me. And so if you're a senior pastor, it is your job 
to make the expectations clear and and to and to help because that that's just part of being a a caring person too. You want to help the people underneath you to succeed and to know what success. So how do we know we're winning? That's one of the best questions. How do we know when we're winning? What game are we playing? Because you know, again, Andy Stanley talks about that a lot. And I love that principle. How do we? We got to know what what a, what a home run looks like. We got to know what a single looks like. And and in communication, the responsibility for clarity and understanding lies with the communicator. Yeah. So I would say that. You know, 999 times out of a thousand, if a subordinate leader doesn't understand their job well, it's not the subordinate leader's fault. That's right. That's right. Because they're the recipient of the message. It's the, you know, and, and sometimes there's a culture where, where we've created a culture where we say something, but it doesn't mean that. You know, we often joke about Minnesota nice. They have stores called Minnesota nice, where you say things because you're nice that aren't exactly accurate. Um, but we're nice. And so, you know, well, you know, we, we, we just want you to give it your best. Well, actually, I don't want you to just give it your best. There are actual results that we want from you. That's you know? right. And, and so sometimes, you know, we'll we'll miscommunicate. But then I can't I can't be upset at that subordinate who didn't deliver the results that I wanted if I didn't tell him or her those are the results I want in a clear way and probably wrote them down as well. <laughs> Yeah. And so, I mean, but again, I think part of what hopefully this cohort is going to do, the the mid-level leadership cohort, is it's going to even help with kind of what we call the 360 leadership, because the truth of the matter is you've got to lead your boss, too. You've got to manage oh, your absolutely. boss. absolutely. You know, I, 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 one thing I want to say about this mid-level uh, cohort is it is open I recognize that there are people who have been in these positions for years, and there are also people who are just starting in ministry and finding their way. This is for both of you. Um, it, it's, it, it's not like this is just a beginner curriculum. Um, I'm hoping that there's going to be some interaction and maybe even some good relationships between some of our younger leaders in these uh, you know, mid-level roles and some of the more senior leaders in mid-level roles where you know, we, we can connect in that cohort, but we'll talk about leading the boss and being an example, um, you know, four traits that everyone who follows a leader wants their leader to have. Uh, what about staff and board member relationships? Where do those go? Uh, how do we, uh, how do I engage in and ensure that I have continuous growth? And then for the, you know, what I would typically say, typically it's younger, although it could be, you know, midlife. Uh, for you know, so we'll talk a little bit about you know how to how to behave uh, when when you're in a position where you're actually seeking additional responsibilities. You're trying to explore: is there something you know broader for me? Is there is there a larger umbrella I could be holding onto than the umbrella that's been currently assigned to me? So there's a lot of good material there. Um, good for you know someone who's an incumbent, someone who's relatively new, and uh, you know the only thing that 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 we're asking for is that you actually are engaged in some kind of ministry like that. Yeah. And so we're going to be able to, this, this is, uh, this is, and it's, by the way, it's free. Absolutely free. It's part of, as they say in the mafia, being in the family, you're in the family and there's certain privileges that come from being in the family. I think this is stuff that you would have to probably pay a lot of money for out in the, the open market, or at least, you know, jump through some other hoops. And, um, but this is just a matter of registering for it. So, you know, you've seen this, if you get, if you're on our email list, you've seen the links to the registration, you can go to our website, which is going to be uh, getting a very nice refresh very soon. I just, we actually just shot the intro video for the website last week, and that'll be uh It'll be featured there once we get it all ready to go. So there are things happening to make our new website up and running. But right now it's at least functional and you can go there and sign up for either one of these cohorts, the elder board cohort or the uh, mid-level leadership cohort. And it's not just for you. It's also for the you know anyone you can think of in your church that's in that board level capacity, maybe an elder in training and, you know, of course, mid-level leadership, and then use it as an opportunity. You can be in the cohort together and then and then follow up with the people on your team afterwards and talk about it more and use this as a training opportunity. Use this as a way to break down some walls, to get better at, at our craft, to get better at leadership because the gospel 
and the kingdom and the vision of uh, the mission of God demands it. And, And we have been sent, you know, and we have been, we have been given this very limited amount of time to be able to make an impact. And so we at EFCA West, uh, we are, uh, we're getting aggressive. We're getting very aggressive because there is a huge sense of urgency that we feel. I know Bob feels it. I feel it. Alex Rivero feels it. Dean Maeda feels it. Everybody in our team, all, all the, the others as well. Like we, this is not a time to rest on our laurels to just sit there and you know maintain our churches and just kind of go, oh, isn't this great? No, our best days are ahead. And if you're an EFCA church, that includes you. Your best days are ahead. I don't care if your building is old and dilapidated, and you are in a town that you feel like you know everyone's leaving. God has you there for a reason, and we are going to help you. Uh, be, pursue that with greater levels of effectiveness. So, Bob, I can't thank you enough for um, sitting down and chatting with me on the, again on the podcast and for what you're doing for EFCA West. Uh, it's always fun to to be able to sit down and share, and again, just encourage people to sign up. I'd love to love to have you. If you have any questions, you know, uh, right there on the website, be my email address and shoot me an email. I'm happy to reply. We will put a link on the description on the podcast to our website. And so that you can register. When is the first? When are the first cohorts starting? The uh, first meeting of the mid-level cohort starts on March 11, and the first meeting of the board member elder cohort starts on March 22nd. So each of them have one meeting in March, two in April, and two in May. I mean, you've got like so much time still. Yeah, I mean, by the time this thing drops, easily three weeks to a month to or longer. So. Make sure you check those things out. Bob, appreciate your ministry. Appreciate what you do. And uh, thanks a lot.